Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, good morning, good morning to my friends we call Awaken. Welcome, come on in if you're in the back. Uh, today is Sacred Sunday, so you'll need a bulletin if you want to sing along. There's some here on the stools, there's some in the back we'll invite you to grab. And I would like to begin our morning with a call to worship, a quick story, and then an, uh, a little activity, an exercise. I was in California with a few friends of mine a couple weeks back. We met a, uh, we were playing golf, a couple pastor buddies of mine, we were out on the golf course, and we met this guy named Byron. Byron is a comedian who has a show in Las Vegas, which I guess is a pretty big deal. He goes to California, or back and forth. And at one point, um, we're goofing around, and um, you know, when a couple of pastors get away from the church and all their people, any number of things could happen. Uh, someone may have been smoking a cigarette at that time, I don't know. Um, and Byron, uh, at, that, at that point, asks, like, so what do you guys do? <laughs> like, well, Byron, would you believe it if I told you that we were all pastors? And he was beside himself. Couldn't believe it. But the conversation uh, was lovely. And at one point, um, my friend Scott asked Byron, like, do you go to church? And he said, no way, man. God does not want me to be miserable, and I am always miserable at church. So that's fair. That's fair. But he said, uh, I do pray every morning. And we're like, Really? He said, yeah, I wake up, I make my coffee, and I just start with gratitude. What am I grateful for today? And then I just think about a couple people that I care about, and I pray for them. That's how I start every day. Wow. That's a good way to start the day. Uh, The first song we're going to sing is called, How Can I Keep From Singing? And it's an old hymn. And it asks this question, like, what would keep me from something welling up inside of me that would that would come out in song. And so I want to begin this morning with just an exercise. Um, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and take a couple of deep breaths. So if you would, uh, take a couple of deep breaths, close your eyes and try to access your imagination. And I want you to think about one thing that you are grateful for. One thing that is life-giving. And then just offer that in the presence of God, gratitude. God, today we gather with everything um, from our life, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, but we choose to, in this moment, just for a moment, focus on that which is light, that which is life-giving, that which is hopeful, and we offer gratitude, and we say thank you. Thank you for the breath in our lungs, for even this new fallen snow. Thank you for who you are and who we get to be together. We pray in Christ's name, and the church said, amen. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand, and let's sing together. How can I keep from singing? Welcome, welcome, welcome. You know, uh, the mountains of the West Coast... Trevor, what the heck? Is that some sort of, you know, subliminal message? Like, we don't want to hear from you, Micah. Keep it down. Um, Everybody's getting a lot of snow these days. That's what I've heard. Like, hundreds of inches of snow in the mountains. 
I don't know, I think we've gotten double the snow that we normally get in a winter. I started this morning in our little prayer time, and I was like, do you guys know what next week is? It's the first day of spring. Well, it's actually not next week. It's, it's the 20th of, of March, but it is. The first day of spring is like just around the corner. Isn't it great? Doesn't it feel like spring out there? Man, it's so good. It's just birds chirping and sun's shining. My gosh. I'm trying, you guys. I'm trying. It's just dragging on, dragging on. But... I'm not a meteorologist, I am a pastor theologian, so let's stop talking about the weather, start talking about the Bible. Welcome to you, if you're new around here, my name's Micah, one of the pastors, if you can believe it, and uh, we'd love to know that you're here, if you are new, that would be a huge gift to us. Uh, There's some cards in the seat pockets in front of you there, online, you can click a button that says I'm new. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice, get to know you, you can get to know us a little. Uh, If you have tithes or offerings this morning, um, those in the cards can go in the black boxes. You can also give online a number of ways, so thank you for those of you that do. Super grateful to you for that. A few things we want to let you know about, some things coming up. Um, Did you know uh, that there are 16 homes that have signed up to host? Guess who's coming to dinner? (laughs) 16 of you! Oh my gosh! So there is so much free food and free dinner in the Twin Cities on March the 25th. I would highly recommend that you sign up for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. You can sign up. You'll be assigned a home, one of 16. You and a few other people will show up for dinner, and it'll be a lovely time of conversation and food. Um, Real community. So I want to let you know about that. Registration is open. You can register up to March 23rd. So check it out. Also, on the 18th of March, in a couple weeks, next Saturday, next Saturday, um, the third of four 40 Orchards Bible Studies is happening. Um, We just have a few people signed up for this, so I want to push this one more time. If you've been on the fence, um, I want to let you know that this way of studying Scripture together has transformed the life of multiple staff people that serve at Awaken, myself included. Uh, never have I studied scripture in a way that is more life-giving than this experience with 40 Orchards. So, um, if money's an issue, it's 25 bucks for the day, which covers the cost of having 40 Orchards come and dinner together. If that's an issue, don't worry about it. Sign up and we'll get you there. Um, and it, is, it, it proves to be a really sweet time of gathering together and um, being together in scripture and learning about um, each other. So want to make sure you are aware of that, March 18th, 1 to 8. There's a group of moms that meet, Moms of Babies at Awaken, on March the 24th. I think that's a Thursday, um, and that happens here in the nursery at Awaken, 10 to noon. So if, that quali- if you qualify, um, which, you know, it's pretty clear um, if you qualify for that one, not a lot of ambiguity there. So I uh, want to let you know that that's happening. And last but not least, last day to sign up for the Good Friday and Easter Choir. Mel's leading that with our friend um, Michelle Whalen. So if you were here for Christmas Eve, such a huge gift. Um, you'll be able to do that again on the Good Friday and Easter. So sign up. Sound good? <clears throat> okay, friends. Uh, we're in Lent. This is Lent. If you're not aware, that starts on Ash Wednesday, goes to Easter. It's 40 days long, a season of preparation and intentionality. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's pilgrimage. Uh, pilgrimage, by definition, is a, a journey with intention for spiritual reasons to a sacred place. 
um, a meaningful journey to a sacred place. And one of the things that's important about pilgrimage is intention, the declaration of intent. Uh, I'm, I'm going on this journey for a purpose, uh, declaring that. And secondly, that the journey becomes the curriculum. And so for hundreds, thousands of years, the Christian church has gone on this pilgrimage from Ash Wednesday to Easter with intention. And our hope is that we're shaped and formed in that process. Uh, that, you know, every Sunday you go on a, a little mini pilgrimage when you go from your house to this place. I hope that you do that with intention and you make this journey through those doors and into the gallery and into the sanctuary, the place where the church is gathered. So Lent is an extended version of that. And a lot of the spiritual life is. So welcome to our journey, our pilgrimage of Lent. I hope it's been as good for you as it has been for me. Um, we have been looking at the transformation of Jesus in Epiphany and now in Lent, and this journey that Jesus is on, right, from the beginning of Mark's gospel. The last couple weeks, we found ourselves at the anointing of Bethany, where Jesus' head is anointed with oil. Last week, we were with the disciples and Jesus at the Passover and the Last Supper, the upper room. And today, we make our way to a place called Gethsemane. So, Rochelle, uh, if you would, oh, we'll read the text for us this morning. This is a, a a sizable portion, but it's, it, we had to do it all to get it all. So um, I'd invite you to rise in body or in spirit for the reading of the scriptures. We'll start in Mark 14, verse 27. <clears throat> you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the, sh the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to them, the disciples sit here while I pray he took Peter James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death he said to them stay here and keep watch going a little further he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him Abba father he said Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, 
Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you would come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Pray with me if you would. God, we turn our attention to this story in this text, which is old, thousands of years old, and yet it's my hope and prayer that today you would do something with it, make it fresh and alive and new for us. Um, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be um, something that would be helpful and useful, and that you would use it um, to remind us who we are and who you are, who you've called us to be, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> um, this is a, a, a dark passage in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, we're waiting for spring. It seems a little dark out there, so it felt, like, felt a little appropriate for our life together. Um, some of you may, have, may know this, but uh, during COVID, I got on the Invisalign train. So um, I, uh, you know, it, it felt, felt right, you know, no one was going to see me, and um, I really wanted my bottom teeth to be straighter than they were, and so I was like, I'm doing Invisalign, dang it. Um, and I have a theory about this, because when I went back to the dentist after a little too long, <laughs> um, I had four cavities, and I don't get cavities. I haven't had a cavity since I was like 18 years old. I guess I have very strong enamel. Got that from my mom, I think. And, um, but I think with the Invisalign, you know, they're just always on. So it's hard to keep your teeth clean. So if anybody out there is thinking about Invisalign or you have them, you got to be really diligent. Otherwise, you're going to get cavities. A lot of sugar bugs in there. So I go to the dentist. He's like, you have four cavities. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Because I know what's coming. Um, you know that sound of grinding teeth? Yep. Yeah, yeah, you know. You just did it right there. Yeah. And I, I, am, I have notoriously low blood pressure. I do not like needles. I hate them. I don't do well with blood. I pass out often. So there is an actual picture. There's an actual picture of me next to a woman from our church who I went to visit in the hospital after she got in a car accident, and I passed out. So the nurse is attending to me and the lady that I'm visiting. You guys. If I don't come to visit you in the hospital, it's not because I don't love you. It's just because I'd rather be upright, okay? So I go to the dentist, and I'm sitting in the chair, and everything in me is like, get up, get out, do not do this. Get behind me, Satan. We're not doing this today. But I know that, like, for the betterment of my teeth, I should do this. Like, I should suffer a little bit in order to go through this thing. But it's not, it's not that it did, I did it, but it's not that it didn't affect me. I, I sweat through my shirt in the chair. I was fidgeting. My feet are tapping, tapping. The dentist is like, are you going to be okay? I'm like, I might not be. No. Then he gets out his needles and he starts sticking me. And the second time, I had to do it in two sittings, you guys. Not, the first day wasn't bad enough. They brought me back and did the other side. He had to stick me like six times in this side for it to work. I'm sorry, but I'm getting to a point here. 
And then I passed out, totally passed out, like gonzo right there in the chair. I come back, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he's, he's like, are you okay? I said, how long was I out? He's like, oh, a little over five minutes. To which my wife said, at what point did they get concerned about people? You know, like, are you going to be, are you going to make it? So I did it. I went through it. I suffered because I knew that it was, it was worth it. In this passage, we see Jesus in a moment where he is like really wrestling. Do I stay in the chair? Do I go through what, what I know is going to be a very difficult, very hard, um, the hardest thing I've ever done moment? And we, we get like a, the curtains open and we, Mark tells us what happens. Um, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see Jesus fully human. And I want to suggest that we see a couple of key moments of Jesus' transformational process. Where he becomes the kind of person that can ultimately submit. And by that I mean, not my will but yours. Does anybody remember the prayer that Mary prayed when he was born? Be it unto me just as you say. Like Jesus, maybe he learned something from mom. And he says, not my will, but yours. And we see this journey in this process. If you remember, the story of the Bible begins in a garden. A garden called Delight, Eden. And in that place, there is shalom, the peace of God. The wholeness, the flourishing, where there is communion with God and with people and the earth that we live in. And everything as, as it should be, flourishing. And up until the moment when humans decide to eat from the tree that they're not supposed to eat from. And what comes from that is a curse. And that curse is struggle. That you will struggle on this earth. You will toil and it will be difficult. It's told to Adam and Eve. These two opposites that exist in Eden. Notice that Jesus finds himself back in a garden. In the last moments of his life, we are back in a garden. There is even a naked person hiding from God. Which is a bizarre ending. We had to read 51 and 52. I don't know if you've ever read this passage and you're like, what on earth is that there for? Nobody knows. <laughs> Lots of people have tried to figure out like what's going on there. The young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. No flannel graph on that. <laughs> Some people actually think it's Mark. The writer of the story, which is, that's an interesting one, you know. But either way, it's fascinating that we find ourselves back in a garden and Jesus is struggling as a human, doing what was told to Adam and Eve. And this thread has been woven throughout scripture. And this is the culmination of it. This is, well, this is when we see the whole quilt. The word for Gethsemane is derived from two Hebrew words that mean a place for pressing and oil. So the garden is not delight, but Gethsemane, where oil is pressed. In the ancient world, they would take two giant stones, like massive, and they would press all the olives and crack them open and then put them in the press on one stone, and then the other stone would be dropped on top of those olives, and the weight of the stone alone would press down on the olives and the the olive oil would come out and be collected. So Jesus is found in a garden, the garden called Pressing. And you can almost hear Luke's words, like sweat fell from his brow like blood dripping to the ground. 
Mark's retelling of this story is the most dramatic and intimate and raw. Um, Matthew describes Jesus as distressed. John says he's troubled. Luke omits Jesus' emotions altogether. Luke's not interested. He's a seven on the Enneagram. No pain for Luke, right? But Mark, he's a four, man. He He says Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled. And then quotes Jesus, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It's one of the darkest, most unsettling moments in the Gospels. And it's actually been controversial in the life of the church and in commentary reading scripture because Jesus is like almost too human, too emotional, too raw. So I want to notice two things this morning. They may seem obvious, but I think it's important sometimes to come back to maybe some of the fundamentals and be reminded. I don't know about you, but I'm forgetful. Um, and so the first of that uh, that I'd like to notice is that Jesus brings all of his emotion to God. He brings his true and authentic self in the presence of the divine. I don't know if you know this, but over here on your right and my left, there's six words painted on that canvas, and one of them is authenticity. One of our values in this church is that our insides would match our outsides. Jesus in this moment, according to Mark, and I'm grateful for Mark's retelling of it, because he reminds us that Jesus himself brings everything, all of himself, to the divine presence. We have a foreign exchange student named Dahlia. She's wonderful. It's been a lovely experience so far. We're six and a half months into a whole nine-month school year, and, like, she lives with us, you know? I, I can't imagine, I don't know if any of you ever did exchange programs or you, uh, you've hosted them, but, like, these parents, this family, these mom and dad, like, sent their child across the ocean to live with a group of people they don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> the trust is just insane I mean, we, there, there are three uh, Spaniards, all from Spain, who go to two rivers. We call them the Spaniards, and they all end up at our house. Two of them are living in homes that just, it's not very, it's not going well. And so we're like, you guys come and just be with us. Come out, come hang with us. So the Spaniards are at our house all the time. And they were, we were told that the best exchange programs and the best experiences for exchange students are when the host families treat them as if they're their own children. Not like they're a guest in your home. <clears throat> So they say, treat them like they're your own. Like, take them in. They're your kids. They're, at least for nine months, that's what they are. And I'll be totally honest. Six and a half months in, I still find it difficult to be my true, authentic self, like Micah at home in front of our foreign exchange student. Because I have this, you know, cultural baggage that this is somebody else's kid, and they're a guest in my home. And so there are certain things that I would not do for a guest in my home. Do you know what I'm saying? you know, bodily functions and whatnot. Uh, there are certain things that I don't, I let this, I let Daly off the hook and I won't ask her to do something because that I would totally ask my own kids to do because she's a guest in my home. But I'm supposed to be acting as if she's one of my children and just be a parent, fully true, authentic. Maybe you've gotten here on your journey as a, your spiritual journey, to the place where 
No, like you can bring your complete, honest, total self into the presence of God. Maybe you're already there. But I have a sneaky suspicion that if you're anything like me, you may still find that a little bit difficult. Even if you've been told, treat them as if they're your own child. They're not a guest in your home. Even if you've been told, you can bring your full self to God. You don't have to hold anything back. I'm guessing that maybe you, you may need to be reminded of this reality, this, what we see Jesus doing. And the reason this passage is so controversial for so many Christians is that Jesus is too emotional. He's too honest. One commentator says, Christian piety, Francis Watson is his name, he says, Christian piety, both ancient and modern, has tended to find these passages offensive and distasteful because Jesus is too real. He's too human. And so for many of us, we've grown up in spiritual contexts and places where whether explicitly or implicitly, we were told to protect God from our true selves. Because we believe in things like decorum and respect or decency. And there are certain behaviors that are they're not fit for public display. They're not appropriate for public places. Depending on the people that you're with. Especially if they're people that you respect or they're positions of power or, or status. Let alone God. And so many of us, <clears throat> we have all this these big feelings inside of us, whether it's despair or grief or rage or anger or even like elation, you know, joy, pure, unadulterated giddiness, intimacy. And we, we hesitate to bring that to God. Even though we see it in Jesus, the scriptures also remind us of this. Think about Job. Job says, why did you bring us, or why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me, breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying in peace as if to say, I wish I wasn't even here. That's honest. Life has gotten so difficult that he pours that out to God. Think about the Israelites. They've been freed from oppression, from liberated from slavery, and they say to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? We would have been better off in Egypt. At least there we got food. Think about the psalmist. While we weep at the rivers of Babylon in exile. Have you ever watched anyone weep? Like really weep? Not just a little cry, but like unhinged weeping? Or even Jesus quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Walter Brueggemann, uh, Old Testament scholar, writes about this concept, and he says these venomous, these like unhinged passages are, un are to be understood as cathartic. That is, they bring troubling emotions to awareness and expression so that we move through them and beyond them. Have you ever had something that was welling up inside of you that you didn't give voice to, that you didn't express? What usually happens in the most inopportune moment, that thing comes flying out sideways or shooting off the wrong way and, and injuring people at times. When we don't walk it out, when we don't go through it, we usually transmit it. When we're not honest with God, we don't have the opportunity to be transformed in the presence of God. 
Resma Menachem wrote a book called My Grandmother's Hands. He talks about trauma and how we have to metabolize trauma so that we don't pass it on. I want to just come back to one of the basics, and that is Jesus is honest, fully, authentically himself in the presence of the divine, and in doing so, he's transformed. He becomes compassion and love because he offers his true self to compassion and love. How do you learn how to become the kind of human Jesus becomes? By in the, most, in the biggest moments, in the strongest of emotions, bringing all of yourself fully and authentically into the presence of God. So say what you need to say to God. Let it rip. You need not be afraid. You, need, you will not offend God. And I didn't grow up in a spiritual context that reminded me of that, that even told me that. I learned how to be respectful and dignified and honoring, honoring this divine presence. The last thing I was was unhinged. When's the last time you were just unhinged in front of God? I think it's part of the process. And I think it's really important. And that takes time, takes practice. But I want to give you the freedom. I'm handing out cards this morning. <laughs> Go with all of yourself. Hold nothing back. Thomas Merton, a Catholic mystic, talks about this he talks about prayer as this meditative experience, and he says this. He says, when you and I become what we are really meant to be, we will discover not only that we love one another perfectly, but that we are living in Christ and Christ in us. And we are all one in Christ. We will see that it is he who loves in us. Friends, how do we become the kind of human that can walk the path that Jesus walked by bringing our full selves into the presence of compassion and love, light and beauty, and being transformed in that presence. So a reminder, a pass, a card, uh, the freedom to do that, to take your full self in the presence of God. I think secondly we see that Jesus experiences disappointment and desertion. This may be, may be obvious, but let's just walk through this passage real quick. 27 to 31, verses 27 to 31, Jesus tells his disciples, you will fall away, you will desert me. And to his face, Peter says, like, even if I have to die with you, I will not disown you. I promise you I won't. Like, the guys who have traveled, have you been on a road trip lately? You know, road trips where you're with people. I have this, late, I told Laura the other day, like, I just want to get in the car and drive. And, like, I don't know where I'm going or I don't know where the destination is. Maybe it's because my life is really hard right now and I just want to leave. I, talk, I should talk about that with my therapist, right? But when you go on a road trip, you know, you get a couple of pals and you're with them 24-7. You drive with them. You eat with them. You sleep with them. You tell stories with them. You sit around the campfire with them. You're with and you experience all these things together. You bond over these memories that you have with one another. Jesus did this for three and a half years with a group of guys. Can you imagine, like, the camaraderie? This is way better than college. 
Like these guys were, this is like a, like a, a frat party all the time, you know, just always together hanging out. And these guys, they desert Jesus. They walk away. In 32 to 41, we see his closest three friends of the 12, there are three, even more intimate. And he says to them, I need you in this moment. I need you to be with me. I need you to walk with me. I need you to like be thinking of me as I go into this meeting. And he comes back and they're like, oh my gosh, that was today. I'm, I forgot. Can you imagine the devastation? Like think of your three best friends. And if you called them and said, honestly, I desperately need you right now. And that was their response. How devastated you would be. Like, feel that for a second. It's not just a book. In the same passage, he, he says to the Father, Abba, you, you are over all things. You can do anything if it's, like, you could find another way. So I'm begging you, I'm pleading you, if there's any way other than the one that I've seen in front of me, please. Can you imagine if your child came to you with a desperate plea because they knew they were about to do something that would, that, that, that would be very hard and that they would suffer deeply through. And you looked them straight in the eyes and you said no. In verses 43 to 51, he's arrested, he's handed over, and he's betrayed. He's stabbed in the back. Judas, one of his pals, who said, I will stand with you. I will speak on your behalf. When the moment came and it's like, Judas, what do you have to say? He's like, that's the guy. Take him away. Can you imagine what that would feel like? And then Jesus is totally misunderstood. He spent three and a half years preaching, teaching, nonviolence and pacifism. And these guys come with clubs and swords with an army of men. Everything he's about is misunderstood. Have you ever been misunderstood where someone didn't see you for who you were? Why do I make such a fine point of this? Two reasons. I want to remind you that we have a friend and a companion in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly then to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Friends, the way of Jesus, the invitation to follow Jesus, has integrity. Because Jesus walked the road first. Jesus is not like a trust fund kid who had everything handed to him, never worked a day in his life, and then is a manager of a company saying, I need you all to work hard. Jesus doesn't say, follow me, take, take up your cross, give up your life, sacrificial love for your enemy from a bark lounger in the celestial skies eating chubby hubby. That's not what's happening here. He, he went first. Anything we've experienced, the depths of our soul, the, the, the depths of the human experience, Jesus has walked it first. So let me remind you, this is not an ask from some absentee landlord 
for hard work on your part with somebody who knows nothing of what they're asking you to do. I don't know if you work for somebody, you've ever had somebody above you make really big decisions that have huge implications on you and not ask or even care about what it means for you. This is not what's happening here. Jesus says, follow me on this path, on this road, and I go first. From the first day of Awaken, the Witham family tithed to this church. Because when I ask you, would you consider giving sacrificially to the mission that God has called us to as a church? I want to be really sure that my ask has integrity. Because it means something when I've gone first. And I say, I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. Jesus is trustworthy and true. The ask is not something he has no experience with. And two, despite all the disappointment and desertion, despite all that he experiences, Jesus is faithful. He's true. He has integrity. Part of the difficulty with is that so many people end up speaking for Jesus and so many people end up representing God who sound nothing like Jesus and look nothing like God. You know what I'm talking about right now? People like me. <laughs> and places like this. Church and Christians and pastors who speak on behalf of God and represent God but sound nothing like Jesus and, and, and look nothing like God. And so many of you, I've heard lots of your stories, and many of you come here and you have a very skeptical, reticent, uh, sometimes unnerviness, if you can even, if that's a word, about like, ah, okay, Micah, thank you for your consider what you've offered. I will think about it. And you should be skeptical. There's every reason for you to be skeptical. But I want to remind you of one small but very significant truth this morning. I am not Jesus. This place does not, is not God. And so in any way that I am inaccurately representing Jesus, I, I humbly ask for your forgiveness, but I would remind you that I and people like me, they're not Jesus. Jesus can be trusted. Jesus was faithful. And in this garden called Gethsemane, in this pressing, Jesus shows us that he can be trusted. There are a lot of things that I have questioned in my 23 years of being a pastor. There are some things that I have said I cannot, that cannot be what God is like. I know I was told that, that God controls all things and is over all things and even the terrible things that it's in God's plan. I can't, I can't. That cannot be what God is like. There's a lot of things that I've questioned. The one anchor, one thing that keeps me standing here with any amount of integrity is Jesus. If this guy actually lived on planet Earth, and these things are actually true about his life, then that's a guy I can trust. That's a life that I can try to emulate because he walked it first in the midst of crushing defeat and despair when he was left all alone 
he still chose love and sacrifice for all. That's a guy I can trust. He brought his whole self into the presence of God and in doing so was transformed into the kind of person that can say, even to my enemy, turn the other cheek. Because violence never creates life. Friends, I don't know how you walk into this morning. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what questions you have. But I find great comfort in a passage like this one this morning. In my own journey, as a skeptic and question asker myself, I find great comfort in the fact that this is a, this is a person that I can trust. Because he walked it out. He did everything he's asking me to do. And it appears that, in, in fact, he's right. That death does not win. Evil and darkness and selfishness and bitterness are not the ways of life. They are the ways to death. And, and rather, forgiveness and mercy and sacrificial love actually leads to resurrection. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things I would really like to be resurrected in my life. And so I am hanging by a thread sometimes, and this is the thread I hang on. So if that's any consolation or encouragement or hope for you, I offer it humbly for you to consider. Let me offer a word of prayer and give you a moment to think about what Jesus has said. God, this morning we gather and I pray for my friends in this room and myself that in the next few moments of still and quiet that your spirit would be present to us and with us, reminding us of who we are, who you are, who you've made us to be, and that the lights would get turned on wherever they need to be turned on, and that we would with courage bring our full and authentic selves into your presence. If there are ways that we are participating in death, there are things that we're doing that we know do not lead to life. May we bring them out into the light with courage and authenticity. If we are filled with grief or anger or despair or even excitement and joy and delight, the, the fullness of the emotion, God, may we bring it into your presence. And may you remind us who you are so that we can remember who we are. Do that work, I pray. As we close this morning and before we send you out into the world, we want to give you an opportunity to respond, and that is through song and through Eucharist, this table that we come to, a reminder of the gift of God given to you so that, so that, this is, this is fun. I really enjoy what we do on Sundays. I love it. And it's not the point. It's good for us to gather and be reminded, word and sacrament. But like outside of these doors is the mission of God in the world, which is the restoration and redemption of all things that you're invited to participate in. So as you come forward, as you sing, as you respond, take a couple of deep breaths in, fill up so that we can be sent out into the world for love. Um, there's red wine in the glasses, red wine and white grape juice, and we'd invite you to make your way down the side aisles and take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, 
as you do know that the body of Christ is broken for you, the blood of Christ has been shed for you. So let's respond together as the church. As you go this morning, just a reminder, for those of you that have said yes to following the way of Jesus, you've joined the resistance. The resistance that says, where is thy sting death and where is thy victory? That there is one who has gone before us. This is the hope, right? This is what we cling to. That death gets a word, but not the word, not the final word. And so the prayer of the church is, abide in us. As we attempt to abide in you, God, abide in us so that we might be good news in the world. Amen? So go with the peace of God. Go with the victory of God. Go with the hope of God that has already been accomplished and is declared. It is and will be. And so in the meantime, between the cross and the kingdom, we work it out together in community as we attempt to follow this way of Jesus. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church gathered together said, Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.